Concentration of technological development is bad for fairness, it is bad for robust solutions. If uh, a Google map, uh, I have to turn it off, but I have to turn it off because it confuses me. It confuses me because it cannot be able to pronounce the street names appropriately. It is not able to pronounce street names uh, appropriately because somebody has forgotten that depending on geographical areas, you actually have different accents. You know, and as a result, and for one reason or another, then we are excluded from that. That exclusion is actually a business opportunity. That was Professor Chilitsi Mawala, Vice-Chancellor and Principal of the University of Johannesburg and just one of the many inspirational speakers that we have here at the Rhodes Ventures Forum 2019. A packed full two days that convenes current Rhodes scholars, Rhodes alumni, Atlantic fellows, and leaders in the international business community so that they can discuss innovation, entrepreneurship, and investment, as well as to explore how we can create ventures that improve the world. In this episode, Find out more about Professor Marwala's life story and his involvement with innovative ventures. We'll be speaking about innovation spaces at the University of Johannesburg, entrepreneurship's role in the context of the fourth industrial revolution, and the dangers of concentrating technological innovation in the global north. So it's really good to have you here, Professor Mawala, at the third annual Rhodes Ventures Forum, and also to have you here for the podcast to talk about your life story and your involvement with innovative ventures. So I thought before we get into talking about innovation within a university setting, perhaps as the Vice-Chancellor and Principal of the University of Johannesburg, you can maybe give a bit of context about the University of Johannesburg and higher education, perhaps more broadly, where you work? Absolutely. No, thank you very much uh, for the invitation. This is actually my fourth time uh, coming to Oxford. We're uh, very pleased you're back. <laughs> uh, the first time I came here, I was 17 years old. Really? Yeah. Um, so I'm the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Johannesburg, one of the largest universities in South Africa, 52,000 students. Many of them first-time uh, university attendees from their families. So over 90% of them, their parents have not gone to university. So, uh, so it is uh, a university that is very serious about transforming society. And one of the effective forces for social change is actually education. And university education is obviously very, very important in that regard. Uh, many ideas that uh, have changed our lives actually emanated from uh, universities. So what we are trying to do at the University of Johannesburg is to equip our graduate 
so that they have all the necessary tools to be able to tackle the complicated world that is actually emerging uh, in, a, in a time when the fourth industrial revolution is uh, upon us, when um, distances between places are being reduced by technology. So this is a difficult time, uh, but also an exciting time. And as the University of Johannesburg, it is our role that we prepare our students so that they are able to thrive in that environment. And you have a really excellent reputation for research and innovation at the University of mm. Johannesburg. Mm. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about how you go about encouraging entrepreneurship and innovation at the university. You have to have an environment that makes it easy uh, for those who are entrepreneurial or those who are innovative to be able to do what they do best. Very, very important. And how do we create the environment? We make sure that um, our staff and students are properly resourced to be able to be innovative. We have uh, 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 an innovation center. We actually bought a, a building that used to be a headquarter of one of our large insurance companies where we just do innovation and business training. Because innovation you know, um, and business are almost coupled, mm. you know. An innovative idea that does not make any business sense is not going to see its way to the market. You know, uh, we support the research that is basically um, uh, uh, encouraging innovation. We make sure that if people have ideas, um, we have a... We have a, a an innovation center that is able to get them to go and apply for patents, for example, to protect their ideas. Very important. Then the second thing that we do in order to encourage uh, innovation is to expose our staff and students to the problems that are around them. Because we believe that innovation does not just exist on top of thin air. It exists on top of real problems. And people are innovative when they are trying to solve real problems. So what do we do with our students? Each of our students is actually expected to do six-hour community service every month. So that they can go out there and see people's problems and be able to think about how they can be able to solve those problems. Very, very important. Do you have any examples of the sorts of problems that students are trying to tackle? I mean, I'll give you an example, one of the innovations that came out of our, our, our student body. Um, 3D printing of bricks. Uh, one of our students did that. The Filo Lidija did that. You know, uh, we had um, our high uh, computing, computer vision lab came up with uh, face recognition algorithms that specifically target the collection of data uh, from the African database, which is not collected as effectively by these multinationals as possible. So those are some of the ideas that have emerged out of our university. And it's interesting because this weekend at the forum we've been speaking a lot about a so-called divide between the academic world and the world of ventures, but it seems that at the University of Johannesburg this divide 
doesn't really exist? Yeah, and, and we basically have a proactive strategy to be able to collapse that divide. And that strategy is include, includes um, taking our staff to industry. So if you go to many companies, whether they are banks, whether they are big mining companies, you will always see uh, University of Prof uh, University of Johannesburg people as board members, for example. And the reason is very, very simple. While they are discussing whatever they are discussing, those ideas ultimately find their ways into our classrooms, into our innovation spaces, into our labs, and ultimately into our research agenda. Then the second thing that we do is to basically bring the people from industry to our campus, whether as members of the advisory boards, whether as visiting professors. Uh, we just launched a second phase of visiting professorships that are specifically targeted at people who are in industry. Uh, and, and once you do that, you have a seamless interaction between industry and, uh, and academia, then you can imagine what sort of things I actually imagine. Mm. It sounds great that like you're doing a really great job to, to try and bridge that gap that we've been talking a lot about mm. these mm. last two days. I want to go back a bit now to your time at Cambridge, where mm. you did uh, your PhD at the University of Cambridge, and you did your PhD on artificial intelligence and engineering. Mm. And you've talked previously about how artificial intelligence is behind the fourth industrial revolution. Mm. I wondered if you might explain to me what the fourth industrial revolution is. So basically, the fourth industrial revolution is the confluence of technologies in the cyberspace, uh, the, uh, and also technologies in the physical domain, like new materials, even strong materials, like graphene, that is very, very strong. And of course, once you start making very strong materials, then you are able to handle things that we have not been able to handle, like computation. One of the big problems with computation is that uh, the heat that your computer generates or your phone generates limits how small you can be able to make uh, your computer. And if you can be able to make it smaller and smaller, then you can put more, more integrated circuits and you can have a faster and faster uh, uh, um, technology. So those developments are also changing in the physical space, are also changing um, technology. And then also development in, in biotechnology. So the confluence of this, which is making the distinction between um, a human being and a machine blurred, is what we call the fourth industrial revolution. Uh, amongst all these technologies that are advancing, one of the technologies that is actually quite instrumental uh, in the fourth industrial revolution is uh, artificial intelligence, another one is blockchain, very, very important technologies because these technologies are making machines intelligent. So what role do you think entrepreneurship has to play during this period of technological transformation? Entrepreneurship and technological development must facilitate a good quality of life for people. Mm. That is very, very important. And this, this is multifaceted. In medical care, we now know that uh, human machine system is able to do 
better diagnosed, uh, diagnostics than just a human doctor. We're going to bring the quality of medical care and elevate it to a higher level. But of course we do know at the same time that as people are in using machines to make decisions, uh, the world of work is shrinking. It is shrinking because uh, uh, the mode and the means of production is being automated. Because it is being automated, human beings are being subtracted from that whole system of production. Now, if you do that, what is going to happen to society? What is going to happen to human identity? Because uh, um, if there is one thing that is very much part of the legacy of the industrialization that happened in this country about 400 years ago, is the fact that uh, human beings started conceiving uh, their identity with respect to what they do for a living. Apparently, the first question that you normally get when you meet new people is what you do for a living. If people are no longer going to be working, what is the implication of that on inequality? What is going to be the implication of that on tax collection? Something that I've spent a lot of time worried about. Uh, I had uh, Elon Musk, a South African entrepreneur uh, who lives in Silicon Valley, saying that we should start thinking about a universal basic income. And uh, many people were quite excited about that idea. Yeah, so it sounds like for you, entrepreneurship is about, or entrepreneurship today is about thinking about all these radical changes that mm -hmm. are happening, especially in, in the workplace, and uh, trying to address some absolutely, of them. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that, that is precisely that. I, I do talk about, um, I did talk about in, during lunch about uh, Google Translate. Yes. It can translate from English to Isizulu, mm -hmm. because it is just doing a lookup table. Might not be grammatically correct, but you can, you know, it, you know, you can be, you can have some idea what, what that word in English actually means, what that sentence in English uh, actually means. But the other way round, it is Zulu to English, a disaster. So I think that's really interesting because there are places in North America like Silicon Valley which are seen as these sort of hubs of innovation, but the sorts of consequences maybe of creating these hubs of innovation in one place, like in North America, um, means that this technological transformation doesn't then work for everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and from where I'm sitting, uh, as an educator, I ought to educate people who will understand that limitation, will come up with technological solutions to address that uh, limitation, and be able to create those solutions and be and monetize them for the benefit of our society. And at the University of Johannesburg, you're very much Absolutely. encouraging that. Absolutely. Do you think that more needs to be done to encourage those sorts of innovative spaces to emerge in different places across the globe? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if concentration of technological development is bad for fairness, it is bad for robust solutions. If uh, a Google map, uh, I have to turn it off. But I have to turn it off because it confuses me. 
It confuses me because he cannot be able to pronounce the street names appropriately. It is not able to pronounce street names uh, appropriately because somebody has forgotten that depending on geographical areas, you actually have different accents. You know, and as a result, and for one reason or another, then we are excluded from that. That exclusion is actually a business opportunity. That's what I say to my, to, to my staff and students. That is a business opportunity. Exploit it. Yeah, and there are these real spaces for innovation, exactly, exactly. like you're saying. And I think something that I know some of the other speakers have mentioned, so when I spoke to Matt Rogers and his, his, the rest of his team from Nest yesterday, um, they talked about the fact that we don't need another social media type innovation. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of ways of sharing photos. So it's addressing problems like the ones that you're talking Absolutely. about that, that really needs to be done. Absolutely. And I think you have three international patents, if I'm right. It's six now. It's six now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and so to have a, a patent, your invention has to be a completely new yeah. way of doing something, which is just yeah. what, what you were saying. So tell me a bit about the uh, inventions that you've patented. You know, we, 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 we have uh, six uh, patents. Uh, uh, one of them is, uh, which was quite exciting, it was uh, even covered by MIT Technology Review, and we have a U.S. patent and European Union and Japanese patent, was a patent on, you have a person who loses their voice box. Normally because of cancer. You know, they have cancer, and then they have to, the voice box has to be surgically removed. Because the voice box has been surgically removed, the person can no longer speak. But the person can still move their tongue. Speaking is a very interesting thing because it is basically done by the movement of the tongue. But the voice is coming from the voice box. So we're saying that can we devise a piece of instrument that you're going to put it in your mouth and it is going to track the movement of the tongue. And based on the movement of the tongue, a voice synthesizer will be able to synthesize what a person is actually saying. It turns out you can be able to do this thing. And we've been talking about the challenges of trying to start something innovative alongside your studies. Now, you've been hugely productive over your career and you've published lots of books, lots of articles. And you've done this alongside being a visiting professor um, and also as the Vice-Chancellor and Principal of the University of Johannesburg. So do you have any tips on how to be productive, how to balance your time effectively? Integrate your venture ideas into your daily work. If you are doing a PhD and you have this innovative idea that you think you can be able to take it to the marketplace, let it be your PhD topic. Are there any particular books that have influenced your approach to thinking about innovation? Absolutely. You know, so uh, I, every month I have a reading club where I read a book. I invite all the students and staff and they come and then we engage the book. So uh, I've read five books this year. I read uh, AI Superpowers written by... Lee Gouffet, and then I read um, 21 Problems of the 21st Century by Yuval Harari, 
uh, we absolutely enjoy that. Uh, then I read uh, Kahneman. Uh, he wrote a book called uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah, so it really sounds like reading is very important to the way you think about innovation and also Absolutely. within the University Absolutely. of Johannesburg, partnering the hub that you're creating for innovation is this idea that reading is really important to feed into that. Absolutely. I believe that uh, leaders who don't read cannot lead well. If you can't read, you can't lead. And you, a society that does not read is in in a great danger. So I've just got one final question for you, and it's a question that I've asked all the speakers that I've talked to this weekend. And it's that if you hadn't pursued the path that you're now on, what do you think you'd be doing? There was a time when I wanted to be an actor. Ah. <laughs> I actually did uh, as an engineering student in North America, undergraduate engineering student. I actually dabbled into acting. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you today. No, thank, thank you, you very much. To hear more inspirational stories from the Rhodes Ventures Forum 2019, listen in on my conversations with other speakers in the rest of these podcast episodes. This podcast was produced by me, Christy Callamay-Gale, and brought to you by the Rhodes Trust. The music you heard was called Feeling Sunny by Scott Holmes, provided by freemusicarchive.org.